Well, today, turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to be chapter 1 today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, as you come in, I don't know if anybody, if you've noticed, but at our, at our Welcome Center, we do have Bibles out there for you to take and use. Um, if you don't own a Bible, that is our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Feel free to use the table of contents to find 2 Thessalonians in the New Testament. Also, calvaryilka.org slash start here. We do have our online worship guide, which has all of our sermon, script, our scriptures, and our and our sermon notes and those kinds of things in their announcements are in there as well. Our connection cards there. So calvaryoko.org slash start here. Well, as the video probably tipped you off, we are going to be talking about resolutions today. This is New Year's week, as it were. And just to kind of get the ball rolling here, how many of you, by show of hands and it's probably not a representative sample. Thank you for braving the elements to be here, by the way, today. But by a show of hands, who always makes resolutions? Always. Not many. Okay, so a few, a few. All right. Same sign, never, never make resolutions. Don't care for it, don't want to do it. Okay. How about sometimes? Not really. A couple. Okay, a couple sometimes. Okay. Um, so, purpose of resolutions, obviously, is to just to make an intention, kind of a, a, a drive to change something in the new year, right? Author and speaker Stephen Shapiro uh, compiled information from the Opinion Corporation from Princeton, New Jersey. These are some of the statistics he found out. 45% of people in North America make resolutions usually, 45%, okay? Of those who make resolutions, 8% say that they always succeed. So if they resolve to do something, it always happens, 8%. One in four, never. Their resolutions never, they never follow, follow through with them. Two months in, week in, a month in, whatever it is, they're, they're done already. So for, that's 24%. 47% make their resolutions about self-improvement or education. 38% about their weight. 34% about money. And 31% about relationships. Uh, some people just want to pay down their debt and kind of control their spending. Others may want to lose weight and start exercising. Around here, we sometimes will have a, a this past year we did a reading plan where you can read through the Bible in, in a year, or the New Testament in a year, or, the, or whatever it is. And those are great and noble goals. Wouldn't you agree? It's good, it's good to make those kinds of positive changes. But at the same, and there's nothing wrong with that as far as, you know, aspiring to do so. But what usually happens to our resolutions? How fast do you, do, they, do you just forget about it? You forget you even made it. Well, you've heard that there's, you know, it takes so long to make a habit and for it to take hold and those kinds of things. Dr. Brian King wrote an article for Psychology Today entitled, How Long Does It Take to Form a New Habit? And this is what he said. There's a pro popular idea out there that it takes 21 days to make a habit. Assuming you engage the new behavior every day, a three-week commitment seems pretty manageable. So if you start the first of the year by Martin Luther King Day, we should all habitually be exercising and eating kale. That's what he said, not me. Unfortunately, that 21-day idea is a myth. 
The same is true if you've heard it takes 30 days or any number of days. I know there are popular books out there that suggest the contrary, but anyone who makes a general claim like that is lying. There are too many unknown variables, and it is simply an incalculable equation. What was his point? What's the variable in all of those equations? Me. You. Right? We're the thing that you can't count on, right? If, you're, if we're honest, we're the part of that equation that we can't count on. Whether or not a resolution takes hold depends on me. It depends on you. And that's the problem. If we depend on ourselves to make changes, we're putting our trust in someone, if, if we're honest, is faulty, right? So there's the problem. So what does the Bible say about resolutions? Is it in there? What does it say? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 11. Okay, read with me. In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the day, Lord. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for this time of year where we celebrate uh, your son coming as a baby, being born, to eventually die for our sins. We thank you for this time, Lord. Lord, just let our time in the Word today be fruitful. Uh, Give me the words to say that you would have me say to those listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little bit bit of background on 2 Thessalonians. So if you know anything about the Bible and anything about the New Testament, you know that as far as the New Testament's concerned, Paul wrote most of it, right? So 2 Thessalonians is no exception. This is the second letter he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. It is thought that he wrote it around the end of his second missionary journey, about AD 51 to 53, somewhere in there. And usually when Paul wrote a letter or an epistle, as they're known, he would start the letter by a, with a declaration of his authority or his apostleship. Like he'd say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and, and kind of show, you know, in the letter, show why people should read the letter and why they should heed what it says. He didn't do that in this letter. It was the second letter he wrote to this church, after all. And he wrote this letter to comfort those that were being persecuted or were going to be persecuted, which was a common thing at that time. Um, he also wrote to assure them that Christ had not already come back. I mean, it was, you know, we're only talking about AD 50 to 51 to 53 here. There were some that thought that were being told, there was a rumor going around that Christ had already come back and nothing had changed. And so Paul was writing to assure them, no, that's not the case. And also to encourage them just to keep the faith, right? So let's go through this passage in 2 Thessalonians bit by bit and kind of unpack what it has to say. Starting in verse 11, in view of this, your translation may say wherefore or so. It's a lot like if you've heard me preach before about the word therefore. You, If you see the word therefore, you ask what is the therefore, therefore, right? This is the same type of phrase. If you see a phrase like, in view of this, you should take a minute, go back a little bit, find out what they're talking about. 
what this part is talking about. So let's back up to verse 9 and see what the in view of this is referring to. Verse 9, they, meaning unbelievers, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed, because our testimony among you was believed. So in other words, you, the church of Thessalonica, and by connection us, are believers because you believed our testimony, Paul's testimony. What was Paul's testimony? Jesus died. Jesus rose again for you. That was the testimony. And because you believed it, you will, as said back in verse 10, on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and be marveled at, you're going to be the ones glorifying and marveling at Christ's return because you believed our testimony. Okay? So all that said, in view of that, we always pray for you. So Paul didn't just write them letters. He prayed for them. Those that traveled with him prayed for them consistently, always prayed for them. That was part of his ministry to them. And he was committing to that by writing it down. We always pray for you. And you can just read into that. After the phrase, we always pray for you, everything that follows is what God is going to do. Okay? So when you say, we always pray for you, God, here's what we're praying for you to do in the lives of these people that we're writing this letter to. Okay? Moving on. That our God will make you worthy of his calling. What's that calling? Salvation. The high calling. The high calling of being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus. The calling that's referred to is salvation, that we are called to repentance. And if you know a couple things about that, first of all, if we have to be made worthy of something, it's a lofty goal, right? And that's what salvation is. It is a high calling. It is something that God, only God can make us worthy of because, another thing about that, we're not already worthy. Anybody in here think they're worthy of heaven without any, any act of God? No, we're not. We are to be made worthy. How? What did God do to make us worthy? He sent Jesus. When we accept what Christ did on the cross, then God is able to make us worthy of the high calling, the lofty calling of being a child of God. The word Greek word for worthy is axiho, meaning to consider one worthy or to deem one worthy. So again, we are not automatically worthy, but Paul prays that God will deem the church at Thessalonica and us Worthy of the high calling of salvation by what? By the blood of Jesus. Okay? That our God will make you worthy of his calling. And by his power, fulfill your every desire or resolve. You can read that. To do good. And by his power, fulfill your every, every resolve to do good. That word... It can be translated desire, resolve, pleasure, and it's the Greek word ethdokia, which can also mean purpose or will. So Paul's praying that as an extension of the worthiness we just talked about, that God will make you know, deem you worthy of the calling, by his power fulfill the believer's every desire to do good. 
Now, how, what, what about that? What, what, why would we deem to do something good if we hadn't already been deemed worthy of the calling? That's what he's saying there, is that because you've been deemed worthy by God, then you can aspire, you can, you can uh, your desire to do good will be um, by his power. The power, his power is the key phrase there. It's not by our power, it's by his power. And then moving on, and fulfill, and your work produced by faith, you can actually add the word fulfill there. And by his power, fulfill your every desire to do good and fulfill your work produced by faith. Uh, the New Living Translation translates that phase. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. So let's break it down. The desires for good can become works of faith when we rely on the power of God. Do you see that? That he's deemed us worthy of, his, of the calling, and because of that, we desire to do good. But by his power... And by faith in his power, those desires to do good can become works. Do you see that? But it's God and his power that makes a desire or a resolution a work of faith. Only God can do that. Our willpower and our effort alone don't do that. I do not have it within myself, like we talked about earlier. I don't have it within myself to not only desire to do good, that's only because I've been made worthy of the high calling by accepting Christ as my Savior. But I also don't have the power to do that. If we have faith in the power of God to do that, that's when he will accomplish that in our lives. Jesus said in John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because, listen, you can do nothing without me. And that's the key, that when we resolve to do good as children of God, we have faith in his power, and that's what accomplishes that to not only be a desire to do good, but it becomes works of faith. Okay? Verse 12. So that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified by you. So that. So everything in verse 11, everything we just talked about, is coming to fruition in verse 12. So that Jesus will be glorified if we seek to do good that turns into fulfilled works by faith in God's power. This is the first time in these two verses that Jesus has been mentioned. What's his connection? Well, we already talked about it. It's by his sacrifice. It's by what he did on the cross that we are deemed worthy of salvation, that we desire or resolve to do good and that we can have faith in God's power to accomplish it. That's Jesus' connection. It's because of his blood that we're counted worthy of salvation. So any faith we have in the power of God comes from his sacrifice for us. Isn't that great? He died for us. And when we accept him as our savior, we're deemed worthy of that calling. And we can tap into the power of God to make those things that we desire to do that are good come to fruition. We're able to tap into that power because of what Christ did. Jesus is then glorified when, as a result of the cross, we exercise the power of God. And then that next phrase, and you by him, and you can just add that phrase, and you will be glorified by him. 
So when we rely on the power of God for good works of faith, it shows that we're being changed. So we're not just sitting and stewing. I think Sam says something like that. We are growing in our faith. And because of that, Christ is glorified because his blood has power to change our lives. And through the Holy Spirit, our lives are changed. If we, we don't just get saved and then, okay, I'm just waiting for heaven now. No, we grow in our relationship with Jesus. And as we do, we glorify Jesus, but then Jesus concurrently glorifies in us. And that's what this is saying. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You could have begun this whole section with those words, because that's where this comes from. It's all because of the grace of our Lord, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ that all of this is possible. This whole passage could have been rewritten with that in the beginning, and it was made as much sense, right? Jesus said in John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, all this we are, we are deemed worthy of our calling. We desire to do good. And by faith in the power of God, he makes it works of faith for us. But only, because, only when we trust in him. John Piper summed up this passage kind of succinctly. And, and a lot of the road mapping I did with these verses was based on some information he wrote. This is what he said. So how do you make resolutions? One, by God's grace. Two, through faith in God's power. And three, for God's glory. Let me say that again. One, by God's grace. Two, through faith in God's power. And three, for God's glory. So I think we've discovered by this passage that the Bible does talk about resolutions. You may not have known that, you know. Um, but, it, it, but there's a very specific way it talks about them. Now, let's look at some guidelines that Paul wrote regarding walking worthy of our calling. So guidelines for walking worthy. Uh, turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Or tap, or however you've got your Bible open now. Ephesians chapter 4. David Dockery said that Ephesians is the perfect balance between doctrine and duty. The first half of the book talks about doctrine, and the second half of the book talks about our duty as believers. Okay, So let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of, of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, This is Paul writing here again. And when he says, the prisoner in the Lord, he was literally in prison when he wrote this epistle. Okay, So he was, he was in the Lord, but he was still a prisoner, literally. So let's go through what he describes here. Uh, starting in verse, the sec, uh, starting in the second verse of this passage, the characteristics of walking worthy of our calling. Okay, so number one, humility. So humility, it can be related to humbleness, but humility is really seeing ourselves for who we are and how we are. 
So humility is understanding that God created all of us in his image. God created us, you've probably heard the Imago Dei, the image of God. We all are image bearers of our God. And as such, there's none higher or lower. We are all in the image of God. Humility is basically understanding that. It's not seeing yourself as higher, but it's also not seeing yourself as lower than anybody else. It's understanding where you are in the sight of God. Okay, that's humility. Number two, gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. It may be what you think of when you hear that word, but gentleness is power under control. Think of, in wartime, think of uh, maybe a, some kind of a warrior riding a horse, okay? That horse is powerful, but in the hands of the rider, it's under control. It's got a lot of power to ch- tap into, as we've been talking about, but it's not, it's, it's, it's under control. Moses is a great example of gentleness. He was considered you know, he was strong, but he was also controlled by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. So don't think weakness when you hear gentleness, okay? Number two, gentleness. Number three, patience. Patience is understanding that God has a timetable and resting in that, okay? I've said it before. I'll say it again. I make a lousy God, okay? And I'm sure you say that about yourself if we're honest. My timetable doesn't always work with what God knows and what God sees. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's outside of time. He, does, he doesn't just see tomorrow, he's there already, okay? So his timetable makes sense in light of eternity, whereas mine makes sense in light of John, okay? It's a big difference. Patience is understanding that, resting in that, and trusting God with that. And it's not fun, right? Being patient is not always fun. Not when we want it right now, but it is what we're called to do, walking worthy of our calling, okay? So number three, patience. Number four, bearing with one another in love. Literally, if you flip that that phrase around, love drives us to bear with one another, okay? Uh, Philippians 2, 1 and 2 says, If then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay? It's not easy all the time, bearing with one another in love, okay? If you were here last time, I preached, uh, I preached a sermon called The Good Life, and we talked about unity, not uniformity, if you remember that. Unity, not uniformity. We can have the same goal, and we can agree what that goal should be, but we may have very different ways of getting there. But because we love each other, we bear with that, Right? You don't have to necessarily have your way in that, but we bear with one another as children of God and, and, and joint heirs and, and being together as the family of God, okay? Number five, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As Paul explains later in this passage, we're to show our spiritual unity, unity as, again, the family of God, by our unity in our relationships, okay? Okay? Because we are able to get along with each other, to love each other, 
pray for each other, serve each other, then we also show that we are, in fact, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do, and we show that by getting along, essentially, okay? We show that we love each other by keeping the peace with each other. So just as we discussed regarding our, res- our resolutions, all these aspects of walking worthy are possible only through the power of God. Okay, so let's tie this passage back to our original passage. By the grace of God in Christ. So you, if you're wondering what kind of resolutions our passage in 2 Thessalonians was referring to, these are some great examples. It's not a comprehensive list, but it's a great, some great examples. So if you let's take our pattern from before and apply it to what Paul just wrote. If you want to exhibit patience in your life, what do you do? By God's grace, through faith in God's power, for God's glory. Right? If you want to show humility, if you want to live peaceably amongst your brothers and sisters, same thing. By God's grace, through faith in God's power, for God's glory. And you can apply that to the rest of those characteristics. Let's flip that around, though. Okay, because we're talking about resolutions today. <laughs> let's, let's, okay. Um, Let's say I resolve in the new year, I resolve to cheat on my spouse. Let's apply, <laughs> let's apply these guidelines to that. Can you do that by God's grace, through faith in God's power, for God's glory? Let's say I want to eat my weight in candy in the, in the new year. Right, guys? Eat our weight in candy, right? Can you do that by God's grace, through faith in God's power, for God's glory. So you have a measuring stick now as to what what how how what kind of changes you can make in your life. And and these and resolutions can be made any time. New Year's is just when we usually talk about it. But if you resolve in April to you know make changes in your life, as long as you do it by God's grace, through faith in God's power, for God's glory, have at it. Right? Yesterday, we just celebrated Christmas, and I'm sure we got gifts and exchanged gifts and gave gifts to others, but a lot of this that we've been talking about today is about the high calling, the salvation, right? And we talk about the free gift that Christ gave, and the only way we can tap into the power of God and have faith in that that he will turn our resolutions into works of faith is if we've accepted him as Savior. So let me encourage you. I encourage you online if you're joining us and, and weren't able to get out today. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, please don't put it off. Please don't. Why would you put off for one day being able to tap into the power of God? Why would you for one day have no idea where you'll spend eternity if, today's your, if you breathe your last breath today. Please don't put it off. Please talk to myself, talk to Pastor Sam, talk to uh, one of our elders, talk to one of our ushers. Just, just let us talk to you and explain to you what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Wouldn't that be the best gift of all to receive this Christmas is to know that you know that you know where you're going to spend eternity. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in your power, that we can trust you, and we can have faith in that, Lord, and that you want to accomplish those, those things that we resolve to do that are good, and you want to turn them into works. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it tells us, Lord. Lord, just help us to rely on it more and more and more as we walk with you. And if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray they don't put it off. I pray that they make the best decision they can make today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.